You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Rodney, Patrick, just the three of us for our wrap-up edition of the Beltway Briefing, our last episode before August recess. Rodney's sitting in the office running through the tape, proving that he has adapted well, Patrick, to our private sector life. Very impressive. Lots to talk about this week. A lot of legislating in Washington, but also a lot of human interest stories tied to legislating in Washington, most particularly Mitch McConnell mid-press conference, kind of freezing for lack of a better description. Just to me, Patrick highlights a couple of things. Number one, it highlights that just the age of our politicians, and it's it's an obvious topic. People talk about it every day with respect to the president, but McConnell, Feinstein. The good thing is, Patrick, as you pointed out, we have lobbyists on our team that match the demographic. This week, in a client meeting, Mark Alderman pointed out that he got his start in politics with Gary Hart in 1984. So he is ensuring that our clients know that they have representation at the upper end of the age spectrum. Good. Very, very important. But it also proves that Rodney Davis, Patrick, made the right decision to retire from Congress at the young age of 53 before he got too long in the tooth and started freezing up at his at his press conferences. Rodney Congratulations on an, just an excellent decision. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I I didn't think my uh, my exit from politics would be described that eloquently, Howard. Yes, but in all seriousness, I mean, scary event. Yeah, really um, scary. Sad to see, <laughs> but but there's a reality there. Like, I mean, there's a reality that it's. That this these jobs are demanding, and they're in the public eye, obviously by definition. And people are just they're just they're too old to be sitting in these chairs, Patrick. Yep, totally agree. And I we're not imagining it either. I saw we had Good Morning America, and well, we were drinking our coffee, and it said the older the average age of a U.S. senator right now is sixty five, which is older than it's been, I think, ever. Leadership of the parties in the Senate is old. The two leaders for the presidential nominations of their parties are are elderly. And yeah, it. I mean, I think all of us probably felt when I saw the clip, both clips, by the way, when I saw the McConnell freezing up clip and the Feinstein committee clip, I mean, I think all of us have a, you know, you have a certain amount of humanity and we want to have respect for the elderly. And you felt, I, I certainly felt, First thing I felt when I saw the McConnell thing was, boy, I'm glad John Barrasso's up there because he's a doctor right, and probably right. had some sense of what was going on. But, you know, it was scary. But, yeah, I mean, we, with all due respect to the baby boomer generation, at what point 
you know, do we need to really see a greater transition of generational leadership? Because people probably shouldn't be serving in Congress and in the executive branch into their, you know, 80s. And in Feinstein's case, she's 90. And we've had the same dynamic in the House with Speaker Pelosi, now member Pelosi. But there's been at least a little bit of a generational shift, Rodney, in the House. No, there has been. Uh, I saw Speaker McCarthy and Leader Jeffries last night. Uh, there has been a youth movement. Uh, but I will tell you, when, when it comes to Leader McConnell, uh, there's not many that I respect more than him as a as a strategist and as a legislator, uh, somebody who has done a phenomenal job throughout his, his legislative career and really finding a way to, to get solutions across the finish line. I was actually just saddened by what happened. Uh, and when you, you saw it, I mean, you, you couldn't help but realize something was drastically happening. Now, do I think he sh- he can recover? Do I think that he can still do his job? 100% I do. Uh, just like many, many his age and many uh, at a younger age are able to do after a, a short bout with a medical episode. I'm, I'm not one scrambling to say we got to we got to do better. We got to get somebody younger in there because. Frankly, to be careful what you ask for, because you may get you may get someone who uh, who, who disrupts the governing in America uh, that Mitch McConnell has been able to kind of coordinate movement forward in for decades. Right. I mean, look, he's running the Senate with a firm or from that side of the aisle with a firm mm-hmm. hand, and he's a strong political tactician. And he understands politics. He's not everybody's favorite legislator, but, you know, it it is sad to see. We don't know. I I think, Rodney, though, we don't know whether he what the implications are. Right. Like We're not doctors. I don't even know that the doctors know for sure what that was. And, And I think to me, it's the uncertainty. You know, like day to day, as long as he's functional, I don't really care how old he is but it's the uncertainty and i think that uncertainty is most prevalent with the with the president and here we go into a a demanding you know 15 18 month presidential campaign and you know i i i i I am concerned i'm you know who knows if that if that were joe biden oh yeah People would be going nuts. All we'd hear about. I mean, it's all that any of us would be talking about. No question. Yeah. And and any given day, Patrick, any given day, which is why people are, I mean, it's, it's a legitimate, it's not just what we see. It's the behind the scenes and it's, it's a, it's a concern. Definitely. And Ronnie brought up a good point. I mean, I think there's a balance, right? Because with age and experience comes wisdom. And I think we've gotten through some legislative crises over the last several years because of the experience McConnell has. And it's it's made getting through some of the chaos a little easier to have some people who know how to get us through, you know, a debt limit or a government shutdown. And I think that that comes with you know, years in the in the body. But at the yeah. same time, you know, Congress shouldn't be a nursing home either. And well, it's it not just Congress. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> yeah, or the White House. Yeah, it just government shouldn't be, 
your end of life care plan. Like it doesn't look good to the country and it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence to see, you know, members that are that old serving in a job that I think the public thinks should require a little more of some of these members. And and it's hard. I mean, we, Ron, you probably, I'm sure, saw members like this in the House. I certainly did when I was a Senate staffer who serving in Congress becomes, it's not only their job, it's just their entire identity. They, they have a staff. They rely heavily on that staff for things that go way outside of the normal job description of, of what work in, on the Hill is. And I think some of these members don't know what they would do if they left. And they sort of feel like being in Congress is the only thing standing between them and, you know, not not being around much longer. So that I I, I feel for them. But yeah, I mean, Howard, I think you nailed it. Just the premise. It's not good. On the other hand, like the first this is why I have so much trouble with this, because the first call, one of the first calls to Mitch McConnell was Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. and. Like these guys know how to talk to one another. They don't agree on policy. They're they're not on the same team, but there's a mutual respect there that frankly comes with age and, and wisdom. And I I know people, you know, some people, a lot of people don't like Joe Biden, but frankly, like on a lot of levels, I feel much, I feel like I sleep better at night knowing that Joe Biden can pick up the phone and talk to Mitch McConnell and that you've got these guys with their Asian wisdom running the country. It's just scary that at any given moment, we're so vulnerable from an age point of view at the same time. Well, you guys both make some, some excellent points. However, let's take a step back and realize that when a Mitch McConnell is serving or a Joe Biden is serving in the White House, it's the voters that chose them. And, yeah. you know, we can't disrespect what the voters have chosen as yeah. to who they want their representatives to be, who they want their president to be. Um, I, I may disagree with Joe Biden on a wide variety of issues, but he got elected. And this is the same argument I used to make to many when Donald Trump was president. I mean, you can't you can't take away the will of the voters. The voters elected him let him do his job because just because we may not like somebody, we may think somebody may be too old, et cetera, doesn't mean that we get to be the one to choose. And when you look at Congress, you look at the Senate, for example, there it, it is an institution that has a higher age point than what the House does. But this misperception somehow that Congress is a place where someone goes and never leaves just isn't true. Yes, Congress can become, and being a member of Congress can become somebody's. Uh, it can become somebody's life. And there are people that I served with in the House that were there long before I got there, and are going to be there long after I left. And that is who they are. And it is tough to leave that identity, to leave that comfort zone. Uh, I'm glad I left it because I got stuck working with you two yahoos, and I'm having a great time. But in the end. That's not the norm. The House has turned over immensely well, in my tenures. I was yeah. seniority level less than 150 out of 435, and I'd only been there for 10 years. So mm. we have had that turnover. It's just the people who are in front of the cameras right now are the ones showing America 
that they're a little bit older. Yeah. But in, in all seriousness, Rodney, just having watched you and worked with you for the past seven months, it it was hard for you to leave. Yeah. It's, it is hard for you to give up. It has been hard for you to give up that identity as a member of Congress, just on a personal human interest level. What are you trying to be a therapist or something? How <laughs> Huh? You're you move that? from the globalist. You you're gonna make me cry here. You're gonna be like, oh, just let it out, Rodney. You can let go. Oh, a little psychology here on the Bellway briefing. Politics and therapy. I was with Howard Schweitzer. I enjoyed it greatly, but now I've got to let go. That's Thank right. you, Howard. Politics and therapy with Howard Schweitzer. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and good enough. Point. Like the voters elected these people. I, I totally agree with that. But then there is a question, you know, if you take the Feinstein example, like her seat isn't up for grabs. There's no political impact. But at what point does she and her family make a personal decision that, you know, that probably well, continuing to serve isn't in the best interest of her constituents versus just the comfort she has of being a senator and having a staff that tends to her i think that right right there right there you said staff what? yeah of course yeah. we staff. all know that's a big part of it it, it is, is i just i mean said. anyone who's you were a staffer ronnie the members yes. rely heavily on staff i you know i worked for senator by he was elected governor when he was like 30 i mean he had a staff his entire life it was just like it became a part of kind of his just day-to-day existence. And I, that is really, really hard, I think, for particularly the older members who have had them for 50 years to give up. It's it's not just giving up the staff around you. It's the staff don't want to see you go because their mm-hmm. life changes them. So the yeah, staff right. is what keeps a Feinstein in office. It's the same thing that kept Strom Thurmond in office. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that keeps uh, many people in office because they don't, they don't have a different identity either. You're totally right. That's exactly, you're right. Dick Dick Durbin, Dick Durbin's in his eighties. He's been in Congress since I was 12. At at some point, when do you walk away? I I don't, I never would have been one to stay for forever, but who would have known? I mean, who knows? By the way, this isn't even just Congress and the executive branch. It's also the judicial branch. I still blame Ruth Bader Ginsburg for not leaving when she should have and uh, costing costing that side of the aisle the opportunity, costing President Obama the opportunity to appoint a replacement and and have more balance in the court. I'm grateful she made that. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Um, (laughs) But it it does become, it does become their identity. Are you some humility, are you? There's some humility you have to have and some recognition when you don't have the capacity. Like I remember, you know, just within my church, when Pope Benedict stepped back, it, there, there was, it had never happened before uh, in the Catholic church. And I remember observing it and just thinking that takes so much just grace and humility to do something like that and to step back and to recognize that, it's going to be too challenging to lead given your age. And, and I just think more members need to think about it like that versus just the comfort of my own day-to-day life. Now we're doing politics, religion, and therapy. You like that? Ah. And therapy. 
Hey, hey. You know, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, and, and this is what I know of my good friend Evan, who's our most, you know, trusted listener on this podcast. He's going to ask me when he when he talks to me this week. He's going to say, "Was there some subtle hint that Howard's trying to push the old guy Alderman out?" I mean, it's not a coincidence. Mark's not on here. It's not a coincidence. He's old and decrepit. You know, what are you getting at here, Schweitzer? There are so many directions I can go right now, but I'm just going to keep my big mouth shut. Yeah. If you started out by saying, Mark Alderman on a call with the client, I was on a call, brought up Gary Hart. That is the epitome of old and decrepit. (laughs) I worked the Gary Hart campaign that failed miserably because of Mark Alderman. Exactly. Great, great client calling card. Uh, All right, let's shift a bit into the fun realm of criminal criminality in politics. We what a what a world, as Mark would say. We have, as our listeners know, we got a great crisis communications litigation team. I feel like uh, the Hunter Biden team could have used Tilden Katz. Seriously, open them out. Not to mention the Trump team. Yeah, More charges for the former president associated with trying to cover up the surveillance tape at Mar-a-Lago. And then Hunter Biden, which just continues to be, obviously he's not himself a politician, but by association, just continues to be the most bizarre story. From his laptop to it's just it's bizarre. And is it going to impact Joe Biden on any level, Patrick? We haven't really talked about this much, but but does this impact Biden? No, I don't think so. I mean, if he were to do something, you know, if there were to be charges and he were to if there were to be proof that he was personally intervening, if there was something if there was something that looked to be less than above board, then I think it could. But if it's just his son is a knucklehead and potentially a criminal and it's just kind of a sideshow, I I don't think it has a negative political impact on him. At least that's my my personal view. Rodney, what's your view? Your your former colleagues are certainly spending a fair amount of time talking about it. Listen. The Hunter Biden fiasco is a DOJ fiasco right now, too. Um, the sheer fact that anybody can sit back and say there's that Hunter Biden was treated equally as everyone else. When you look at what DOJ and the Hunter Biden lawyers had seemingly agreed to, to stop him from being prosecuted for any other crime unrelated to what he was pleading guilty for. And the judge. Thankfully, the judge said, hang hang on a second. What is this? But Patrick's right. Tilden probably could have helped them out. Uh, this is, it, it is a mess. But here's, here's the problem. Nobody believes that anybody like a Donald Trump Jr. or even a Chelsea, I, I mean, he, Donald Trump Jr. or any of the, the Bush twins would have been treated the same way as Hunter Biden in this case. They're, is definite there there's definite information coming from my former colleagues from what they've seen that they truly believe that there is a there there when it comes to the Joe Biden Hunter Biden bribery scandal and you're going to see that play out i've said this before i left congress and i'll say it again there will be an impeachment inquiry 
And frankly, there's going to be an impeachment inquiry anytime the House is different from the president from here on out in our lifetime. Because well, the Democrats, sad. the Democrats turned impeachment into politics. I mean, did they? Yeah. I mean, to me, I mean, what the Trump. Ukraine, the Ukrainian phone call after what we've seen with Hunter Biden and Burisma and, and all of these issues, the, the, the phone call impeachment. I don't know. I mean, I certainly don't like weaponization of that kind of a per, I don't like weaponization of politics in, in that way. I mean, I, I, but I'm not, but I'm not convinced in that case that it wasn't warranted. I think Trump was in a world of his own. He's in a league of his own when it comes yeah, to even this if stuff. you take take the I always wonder, I mean, are you gonna get any members of the other party to be supportive in both the Clinton and Trump impeachments, even though it was limited bipartisan support, you did have, and it wasn't enough to remove a president from office. You had some members of the other party being like, Yeah, this is, you know, this is screwed up. This shouldn't have happened. There's not a single Democrat in Congress who would vote to impeach President Biden based on what is out there right now. Maybe your colleagues will find more, Rodney. Who knows? I mean, it's weird well, that I, your, I don't point think is, your point on the opposite party impeachment inquiry and Howard, I agree with you. It's it, it's I mean, in that what the oversight committee is supposed to be is just I, I don't know why it has to be in the context of an, a trolling impeachment inquiry. I mean, I just yeah, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. But I mean, it's, I guess it's just like seven of the next nine presidents get impeached. They, they, like, they, I mean, they will. It, it will. Yeah. And, yeah. and frankly, it, with the Senate the way it is, do we expect the impeachment inquiry to go beyond the Senate? No. They yeah. go beyond the Senate with Trump. But Trump is not different. Mm-hmm. He is a president. And the precedents set during his presidency by the Democrats in the House over the first impeachment and the second impeachment. The second um, impeachment was... Totally warranted. No, no, I voted no on both of them. I mean, it's it, it was there were, were a not insignificant amount of Republican members who disagreed with you, which I think warrants at least the fact that it happened. I mean, it's not as if it was just purely party line. I mean, you had I can't remember how many votes there were in the Senate, but you had a half a dozen to eight Republican senators vote. Right. Was it enough? No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't but, enough. But it's I'm politics. saying, if but, but no, but we, I'm saying we were if, we were two weeks away from transitioning to a new president. I will argue that the second impeachment gave Donald Trump oxygen to stay alive and be the the front runner for the nomination. Right? I told Democrats, Speaker Pelosi included, don't give him any oxygen. The worst thing you can do for Donald Trump is to make him a victim, and they did it. And instead. They could have let him go off into the sunset without any attention at all, but they gave it back to him. They gave. I don't think something. it would have mattered. He he doesn't take his cues from anyone on where the oxygen comes from. He's just not going away. I mean, he's just so, not. But the media won't let him go away. They they could have let him go away, but then with the impeachment inquiry after January sixth, and, and remember, I was there. I know how bad it was. Right. And in the end. In the end, I didn't believe that impeachment was warranted at this point. Deprive him of the oxygen. Stop talking to him. Stop the media for four years and now eight years because it's still the case. 
every single time there is a press conference, there are Trump questions. Every single time we do a podcast, it's Trump, Trump, Trump. With that oxygen that he got, yeah. because people rallied to his defense on the impeachment, because I didn't think it was an impeachable offense. Incitement but, of insurrection? You're damned if you... I understand what you're saying. There's a you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't element to this, because it, it does give him oxygen. But what are we supposed to do? We're a nation of laws. He was trying to overturn a legitimate election, and he was inciting insurrection. And like... Where do you draw the line, Rodney? You draw you the line at the, at the transition of power. You draw the line. Of well, that's power. what he was screwing with. He was <laughs> screwing with the peaceful do, transfer of power. To do an impeachment process, a constitutional process that was for the highest crimes and misdemeanors that our forefathers put forth. It hasn't been done many times in our, many times I, in our nation's history. But I, to do it and to rush it through without... And a very long, inquisitive process, to me, is now the reason why we will have impeachments when the House is different. We will have impeachments in the House. I understand. There will not be convictions in the Senate. I understand what you're saying, but should should he not be pursued criminally now? I mean, there's a grand jury looking at at this now on a criminal level. That's a completely different scenario than an impeachment inquiry done with less than two weeks before the guy was going to be exiting the White House. That is a major constitutional long-term consequence issue, in my opinion. So you're, and, you and, think and it's here we are today. a legitimate criminal done. inquiry? Oh, a- absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Let the courts play it out. But Donald Trump, will be stronger the more indictments he has. And and frankly, when you you look at his history, there were a lot of things that happened during the Trump presidency that he didn't deserve. The whole Russia collusion hoax, the Mueller, the, the, the Mueller investigation was completely bogus. And frankly, the first impeachment over the Zelensky phone call was nothing but bullshit. I mean, it is... Look, there is bias out there. There's certainly bias in the media. What? No. <laughs> no. I mean, don't you? Well, every single Republican senator. I mean, my good friend Manu Raju was asking every single Republican senator the last couple of days what they thought about Mitch McConnell. And nobody, no Democrat in the House or the Senate is being asked how Joe Biden cured cancer. How Joe Biden has these age-related gas all the time. It's like, oh, that's okay. But McConnell has a single episode, comes back that day, and every Republican's supposed to comment like they're Dr. John Barrasso. I mean, he's more accessible. It, it doesn't make the questioning any less partisan and any less biased. And look, there's there is obviously there's bias. Like look at the Hunter Biden laptop. For two years, the main the media ignored the legitimacy of of that and it turned out to, to all be to all be legit and uh, this stuff yeah. is so it's just it's draining it totally. is totally it i is. yeah i mean is there a liberal bias in the media of course there is i mean all the reporters are 28 and live in new york and dc i mean it's just it's it's just is what it is but i i mean 
the oxygen thing, there's a chicken and egg thing with Trump. And we've, we've talked about it on some previous podcasts. And it could just be that all of it is right and it's not an either or. But there is always a feeling I get of like, every there's all these elements that are responsible for keeping Trump where he is in the eyes of, you know, Rodney, you and others, like it's the Democrats and impeachment and it's the media and their endless focus on him. And it's, you know, this and that and the other things. I think, listen, there's some there's maybe some truth to that, but at the end of the day, the Republican voters just like him. That's the that's the they, they aren't, you know, I, I think it's in a way to me, it's a little bit patronizing to the people that support him to act as if they're being brainwashed by media networks and Democrats like they, they they know what they like and they like him. And that's why he's still relevant. Right. No, they're not being tricked into it. Uh, that's, why, that's why I'm here. It, I mean, they it it's I've said it before. It's religion to these people. It's it's not. And and it's not um, unique in American politics. We've had other not, not necessarily at the presidential level in recent history, but we've had other charismatic politicians that uh particularly like in some of our major cities that even when they're caught breaking the law their political support goes up people just like them they think they're one of them and it's uh you know that tribalism is really dangerous but i i think his i think his continued political support and strength is because republican primary voters just overwhelmingly like and support him and they don't want to they don't want to quit him you're 100% right. They don't. And it's amazing to me. I mean, so, me too. And some, as a Democrat, they, I mean, I don't think we're doing a lot right. But if that's going to continue to be the way the Republican Party operates, I think it's certainly helpful to the Democrats. But yeah, I mean, I just think that that's. Well, this, is, this is your Ruth Bader Ginsburg moment. We just keep having Donald Trump give you wins. Yeah. I mean, he's going to keep picking the nominees and Senate races and he's going to keep. I mean, it's it's. Yeah. Until a big until a Big Mac comes along and undoes him. But as, as Brett Stevens in the New York Times said. <laughs> I have well, a Howard, I was gonna make a Democratic presidential observation too, just kiss to Rodney's point. We we focus on Trump a lot. Yeah. I was at the Democratic Governors Association meeting in L.A. this week and a lot of Democratic governors in attendance, you know, interesting policy panels. I remember during the 2020 primary campaign, you know, thinking to myself and we talked about it on this podcast that the Democrats just had, at least I viewed at that time, just not a good presidential bench. I just was looking at the other people that were thinking about running. You know, we were leaning on. Biden is kind of the savior of the party. And there were some, you know, Buttigieg had some talent and there were some interesting things, but there wasn't, I was looking on the Republican side at all the governors and some of the senators and people that I thought were really talented. And I just was of the opinion that their bench was stronger. I have started to change my view on that meeting some of our democratic governors, you know, this year and seeing, I, I feel like for the first time, I'm feeling a little more optimistic about Democratic leadership in the post-Biden era. I think there's some governors that have some genuine political talent uh, that, you know, maybe in 2028 will have a moment, you know, to shine. But it's just something interesting that I feel like has changed over the last few years where I'm not as down on the bench as I was, particularly during the 2020 campaign. 
Well, that's good because they certainly need a bench. We certainly need, we need benches. You know, apropos of our first discussion, we need benches of good people that want to serve and are willing to step up and have the talent to, to hold higher office and, and govern this stuff is, you know, it's really, it's really hard. This is these, these jobs, all kidding aside, they're, they're serious jobs. They're hard. They're demanding. And obviously it's silly to say the president has a lot of responsibility. Obviously the president has a lot of responsibility there. I mean, maybe folks get to the point where they're figureheads, but you know, day in and day out, it's, these are demanding. And so we need good, we need good people. We need good people to serve. We need good people to serve in government. And so that that's encouraging Patrick. And, and hopefully that's the case on both sides because, you know, we should, we should duke it out and win with good candidates on the merits and uh, move the country forward. So that, so that's encouraging. Any other observations, Patrick, from your time out, out there like other than every, other than the fact that you succeeded in getting Jim Davis to get his passport stamped and get out of northeastern Pennsylvania yes. a lot of labor protests in California that was notable um I feel like every single union is on strike in in California right now there was a lot of drama around moving hotels because where they had the conference originally scheduled, the hotel was on strike and a bunch of the hotels were on strike. So that was interesting. You know, I always find the governor's conferences interesting, Democratic and Republican side. You have governors touting what's going on in their states. But never has there been a greater intersection, I feel like, of since I've been doing this, of governors and what's going on in Washington, because so much revolves around the implementation of these large scale laws that were passed. Everything is about infrastructure, IRA, chips. And so it's not just governors talking about some kind of esoteric offbeat thing that's happening in their state. It's like very related to what we're doing in Washington every day. And so that intersection is interesting. And I think it makes the work we do really interesting. Well, there's a good note to end on for a uh, an August recess. Rodney, your first August recess as a member of the dark side. Uh, enjoy. I'm looking forward to it. In, enjoy uh, August, guys. Spirited as always. Uh, lots to talk about. And there will be lots to talk about when we come back because we will have had a Republican presidential debate. And political activity will continue through the summer. I think August is is a time when, despite the fact that people leave Washington, a lot of news uh, get, increasingly gets made. So we'll watch it carefully and, and come back in September and bring some more perspective to our audience. Thanks for listening, Patrick, Rodney. Thanks for joining. That's and hard. we'll be back in a month or so. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.